Wow, what a day, huh? Has it been a wonderful celebration of worship today? Yes. You're still getting a sermon, you know. But uh, God is good, and um, I want you to just turn to your neighbor and say, we are sheep. (laughs) Turn to your other neighbor, we are sheep. Turn to yourself and say, because that's what I am. (laughs) All right, turn open in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, You know, what a joy of celebration for the baptism and for our music camp this past week where the children learned a lot about the Good Shepherd. And um, I, you know, I don't plan these things that far in advance. I'm not that smart, but God somehow orchestrates the messages for the appropriate time. And today we're going to be looking at the armor of God, putting on the full armor of God. And it's truly an opportunity for not just our baptismal candidates who now are part of the family of God to say, this is how I am to live my Christian life. But it's great for all of us Christians to remind ourselves that we are part of the family of God and we are called to put on the full armor of God each and every day. So we're going to finish up our study in Ephesians today. Uh, and, um, and we're going to begin in verse 10 of chapter 6. And so, if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the, th- the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full, full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, and that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Father, this is your word, penned by the Apostle Paul almost 2,000 years ago. 
instructing, imploring, encouraging, exhorting the church at Ephesus to put on the full armor of God for our battle, our struggle, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of darkness. So Lord, thank you for the armor that you have provided as means of our salvation. May we put it on each and every day so that we can do the work of the soldier of the army of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we see here in this passage three keys. One is our battle. Talks about the battle of Christ. The second is our armor. What armor we are to put on. And then thirdly, our weapons. So I put them all up there for you. You can fill in your sermon notes. I encourage you to use your sermon notes throughout the week. There's many reference verses there to help you guide, guide your way through how the rest of the Word of God kind of speaks to the topics, the phrases, the words, the doctrines that are in this particular passage. I'm convinced that it's the best way to study the Word of God. Uh, to use cross-referencing. And so, our battle is the first, and it's in verses 10 through 13. You see there, he says, finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty what? Power. In His power. And so, we see that there are these three aspects of the power of Christ. The first one is our battle. Notice what it says there in verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Do you know that the enemy that you may have in this life or the enemies that you may have in this life are not other individuals, not other people? The enemy is Satan and his demonic forces. That's who the real enemy is. If you are divided or uh, in some sort of dissension with another person or if you disagree with another individual, the fact is, is that that is one of the schemes of the devil is to get us fighting amongst ourselves so that we can take our eye off of the real mission, and that is to share the good news of Jesus Christ with a world that so desperately needs to hear good news. You see, and so the devil has been sinning from the beginning, Jesus would say. Of course, we find him uh, enter into the time of history in chapter 3 of Genesis. He was a created being. He was one of the angels created by God when he created the heavens and the earth. He is referred to by many different names or titles in the New Testament. He is the enemy. He is Satan. He is the devil. He is that ancient serpent. He is the accuser, the liar, the evil one, the prince of demons, the prince of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the God of this age, the one who masquerades as an angel of light, and one who prowls around like a roaring lion. This is how the New Testament writers described Satan, the devil. And so there are four schemes that the devil uses against humanity. He wants to destroy your life. He not only wants to discourage you from coming to Christ. You know, he had a bad day today because five people said yes to Jesus Christ for life. Because he knows he's a defeated foe. But there are four schemes that he uses. Number one, he uses doubt. Take you back all the way to the Garden of Eden. What did he really say to Eve when he encountered her? He said, did God really say? 
He created doubt. There's a lot of people in our world today who doubt that God even exists. They doubt that Jesus Christ is God incarnate who entered into history 2,000 years ago, that he was a historical figure, but not just a historical figure and not just a moral teacher, but he was God incarnate, God in the flesh. Many people doubt that. Some people doubt that there's life after death. And because of that, the devil has sowed that seed of doubt in their minds and they will leave this world and go into a place of separation from God forever because they believed the devil. The second scheme that the devil uses is deception. Deception. Jesus called him a liar and the father of lies. He told Eve, you will not certainly die, but that was a lie. Eve died spiritually at the moment that, that she took of the fruit of the tree. She died spiritually with, because she was separated from God. The same was true of Adam when he took the fruit and ate of it. He became separate from God. He died spiritually, but then later in life they would die physically. He uses deception. He tries to create all kinds of ways for you to get around actually doing God's will for you. Have you ever been in that place where you ask yourself the question, wait a minute, who am I really living for? Am I living for myself or am I living for the Lord who saved me? If the question is the former, then the devil's having his way in your life. If you answer it in the latter, that I'm living for the Lord, then the devil has no foothold in your life. The third scheme is there's doubt, there's deception, and then there's division. This is a good one. He's used social media to divide, literally, the world. Social media has become a vice or a device of the devil to create dissension and discord among all human beings. It's not a bad thing in and of itself, but when used for evil purposes, it can be very damning. It's a damaging thing. The division that is created within churches. How many of you realize that there are 20,000 denominations in the Christian faith alone? We can't even agree. You know, division is something that happens within churches even. Sometimes people will gossip about somebody else and they'll say things that are not true. And that is creating division within the body of Christ. We don't do that here at Ashley River at all, do we? You see, when you do that, you are essentially creating division. We are to build one another up, encourage one another. When somebody comes to you and starts talking about somebody else in a negative way, you say, stop, go talk with that person. That's the biblical thing to do. All of us need to learn that. But that creates division, and the devil wants to do that. Fourthly, he brings in discouragement into your life. I will tell you, there are a lot of people who are discouraged in this world, and they look at all this suffering and all of the pain, and they think that somehow, if a God is so good, why doesn't He do something about it? Friend, I'm here to tell you, God is going to deal with it, but on His timetable and in His way. God knows what is best. He allows these things to happen so that it brings us closer to Him. When trouble and tr uh, calamity come into our lives, who do we call out to? The very one who can help us through it. So when you are discouraged, go to God in prayer. Ask Him to help you. When the devil wants to whisper in your ear, this is what God says, get behind me, Satan. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's what the Word of God says.
But then it says also in this passage, it says, for our struggle, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the, this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Understand that there are, uh, there are spiritual forces in the heavenly realms, there are dark forces here on earth. And they're, they're trying to divide you and cause you discouragement. So you and I have to recognize that our, our battle is not against other humans. It is against the demonic realm. And so therefore, we have to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ every day. Look at what he says there. Stand your ground. Stand firm then. You see, and here's the key. When you are tempted... Just remember these words from the Word of God. Verse uh, 13 says, when the day of evil comes. That's really an emphasis. Whenever temptation comes, whenever calamity comes into your life, you have a way in which you can respond to it. So in, in, the, uh, in the passage here, it says, uh, James 1, it says this, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Let me pause here, and let's make sure we are clear. God doesn't tempt you. God does not tempt anyone. And he cannot be tempted. This is the almighty God we serve. He doesn't tempt you. How does temptation come? James continues on, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And that's what happens. All of us are tempted on a regular basis. And the key is, are you going to submit to the leadership of Christ in your life, or are you going to submit to that temptation? And when you do, you will find that it ends in disaster. But we have this promise, because our God is a loving God. In 1 Corinthians 10, it says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Did you know that no temptation you've ever experienced is unique? All the temptations that you have experienced in your life have been experienced by countless others in this world. And so, it says here, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Did you hear that? He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So, in order for us to stand in the battle, because that's the first aspect of the power of Christ, that we're standing in the battle, we are to stand firm. We are to stand firm on the truth of God, and then we are to put on the armor of God. And that's the second aspect, our armor. Look at verses 14 through 17, and we'll look at the five pieces of armor that Paul would refer to here. Now, his readers in Ephesus would know exactly what he's referring to. Any person who has come into contact with a Roman centurion or a Roman soldier would know exactly what all of this is about. The first is the belt of truth. Look at what it says there in verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around 
your waist. When you put on a belt, it wraps around you. This was something that would wrap around the tunic that the soldier would wear. It held both the breastplate and also the sword, the scabbard for the sword. And Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is the truth? It is the Word of God. This is it. This is God's truth in written form for you and me. When we read it, we ingest the truth of God. It becomes a belt around our waist, and it protects us in the battle. That's the first piece of armor. The second is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate protects the heart, and the heart is a critical component or a critical organ within the human body. It protects us. Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else, Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The heart is the seat of your will. It is the seat of your emotions. It is the seat of your spiritual health in Christ. When you guard your heart, then you are truly, wholly surrendering yourself to Jesus Christ. Put on the breastplate of righteousness today. Righteousness is right standing before God. Jesus, before he was baptized, you know what he said? He said, John the Baptist, I need to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And so Jesus did that. And so as an example, we should follow him. So we have the belt of truth. We have the breastplate of righteousness. And then thirdly, we have the feet of the gospel. The feet of of the gospel. Look at what it says there. In addition to all, I mean, I'm sorry, in verse 15, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The Roman soldiers wore what was called a caligae, a caligae. It's a half boot, half sandal. They would march long distances, sometimes up to 25 miles in a single day. So they had to be comfortable, but they also had to be sturdy. They would have hobnails or spikes on the bottoms of them in order for them to, to, to reverse strong, difficult ground, but also to stomp on fallen enemies. And so Paul here is telling them to put on these sandals, these boots, to provide firm foundation for them. You know, in Romans chapter 10, it says, how can they believe and the one whom they have never heard. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And then he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so you and I must put on the feet of the readiness of the gospel of peace. My question is this, are, who is robbing you of your peace? Is Satan robbing you of your peace today? Are you worried are you fearful? Do you have broken relationships in your life? Are you going through a job transition where you just don't know the certainty of it? Do you have other challenges in your life? All of us face these on a daily basis. But the key is, does Jesus have your heart? And when he does, he will guide you through. He will never leave you nor forsake you. People will upset you. People will disappoint you. But Jesus never disappoints. My Jesus has never, dis have I disappointed him? Yes. But I have never found that my Savior, Jesus Christ, has ever disappointed me. He is there for me. 
He walks me through every difficult period of my life. He is walking me through right now. I can feel his very hand on me and my family. And because of that, he is worthy of my worship and my praise in the midst of even the most difficult circumstances. Because if that's how we want to receive Christ as our Savior, we have to also take Him as our Lord. That's the key. So the, so the feet prepared for the gospel is number three. Number four is the shield of faith. Look at what it says there. The shield of faith. This was a Roman shield. It was called a scutum. A scutum. And basically, a group of soldiers would position themselves, and they would hold up their shields, and they would be aligned. They would be overlapped. And that's called a testudo. <laughs> now, I'm a Maryland fan. Uh, you know, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, so I'm a Maryland basketball and football fan. And, you know, they are the Terps. The Terps. It's a, it's a, it's a turtle, okay? I know, you know, it's really, ooh, well, uh, you guys, Clemson, you know, you got the, well, you got the fighting Gamecock. I'm not sure if that's any better. But then you have the Tigers, of course, but then we have the, the turtle. <laughs> and uh, who's, who's afraid of the turtle, you know? But we, we call it fear the turtle, you know? Um, and so ultimately, what is, what is the, uh, what, what are the turtle's name? Some, some of them called testudos. And that's the mascot for Maryland. He's, he's testudo. Why? Because he has a, a protective covering around him. It's a shell that covers him. So now you all can understand and appreciate our mascot. You see, they, they are protected, just like this shield of faith. You know, I was in a Sunday school class this morning. It's amazing. Those in uh, Marcus's Sunday school class are going to hear this again. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And it is impossible to please God without faith. You have to have faith. And so when you put on the shield of faith, it helps you. Look at what 1 John says. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. Did you hear that? Everyone born of God overcomes the world. That's a powerful truth. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So faith, that take that shield and let's line up together because that's what the church is all about. We are to stand side by side fighting the evil, uh, the evil one, okay, the devil himself. And we can extinguish the fiery darts, the flaming arrows of the devil. And then fifthly, we put on the helmet of salvation. Look at what it says there. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then verse 17 says, take the helmet of salvation. Now, the salvation helmet is something that is very heavy and it protects the head. Obviously, just like the heart is a critical organ, the brain is a critical organ. I was reading about all that the brain does. I don't know if you realize this, but everything that you do and say is controlled by the brain. The brain controls your thought. It controls your memory. It controls your emotions. It controls all of your senses, your touch, your motor skills, your vision, your hearing, your breathing. It even controls your temperature of your body. It controls hunger when you feel hungry. It controls every single process that regulates 
your body. And so wearing a helmet protects you. Take on the mind of Christ, the Scripture would encourage us to do. So salvation comes to all who trust in Jesus Christ. Do you want to know what salvation is? Salvation is this. It is an event when you first trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. But it is also a process that will not culminate until glory, until you are taken into the presence of Almighty God Himself. So between the time that you first trust Jesus until the time that you enter into glory, salvation's process is working out in your life. Salvation is when you trust Jesus, when you place your faith in Him. But then it's also that God places you within His family and gives you the power to carry on and endure until that day when He calls you home. Praise God and hallelujah. So that's the armor. That's the armor. And so finally, we end with two weapons. Two weapons. Most scholars would say there's just one weapon, but I would argue that there are two offensive weapons. Look at what it says there in verse 18, or the end of verse 17, actually. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. It's the first of two offensive weapons. Hebrews 4.12 says this, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and intentions or attitudes of the heart. That's the word of God. The Word of God is our offensive weapon. How can you use an offensive weapon unless you know how to use it? The way in which you use it is to memorize it. I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you, O God. Thy Word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. It is our greatest weapon against the schemes of the devil. Quoting Scripture. Friends, I'm here to tell you, if you're not daily on a daily diet within the Word of God, and I'm speaking to myself too, if I'm not in the Word of God on a regular basis, then everything else is having a greater influence on me. I say it all the time. You may be tired of hearing it. Devotionals are fine. But it will never supplant the Word of Almighty God. We in this world today have too many things that will distract us and take us away from studying and reading and letting the Word of God marinate in our hearts. When we read it, I promise you, in my life, I will come across a passage, I will look at a word, and I will say, I have never seen that before. How many of you have ever done that before? As you read the Word of God, many are raising their hands going, it's amazing, but it's true. I might have read that passage 20 times in my life. The 21st time, it changed everything. That's God honoring you with His Word. He is giving you the tool, the offensive weapon that you can use to go against the devil's schemes. And then finally, there's one last weapon that we do have. Look at what he says there in verse 18. 
and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. With all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. I believe prayer is a powerful offensive weapon for the Christian. Prayer is important. That's why we had the 40 days of prayer. That's why we're going through summer in the Psalms, that we might pray to the Lord, that we might come to Him. It's so hard. Some of us, this is a difficult discipline. It's hard to talk to God, but I promise you, the more you study His Word, the more you will pray. That's how it works, because the Word of God will penetrate your heart, and it will just start flowing out. I promise you, after a year of diligent Bible study, you will find yourself saying things in your prayers to God that are directly out of the Word of God. And it's amazing because that's what God wants. He's the one who wrote it. He's the one who understands where you are in life and what scripture you need in order for you to be able to endure. And that's the key to life. If you have the ability to put put aside time to really wrestle with the Word of God, it's good. It's good. It's holy. It's clean. It's pure. It's noble. It's admirable. All of it is going to fill your heart with the love of God. And then when the arrows come, you just shut them out with the shield of faith. When the devil comes at you, you say, get behind me, Satan. I have the word of God. It is my offensive weapon. All of us have the power of God within us. I just get excited. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, This is what the church needs to realize. We're on the winning team. We are on the winning team. These five people who just got baptized today, they came into this family of faith. We're like a regiment within Christ's global army. We're soldiers for Christ. All of us. So take on the full armor of God. Take up the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and pray on all occasions because He who called you is faithful. One day, one day, Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. He said it. I believe it because everything He said has come true. Jesus is real. He will not come as a suffering servant. That was his first coming. To pay for the sin of all mankind. But when he comes again, he will come with power. He will come to conquer. He will come to realize his kingdom. And he will come to welcome you in. And he wants to say to you and to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter your Father's rest. Do you want to come into the army of Christ today? When you do, you are on the winning team. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity for us to come and study your word, to put on the full armor of God, to recognize that we're in a battle, that you have given us the armor, that you have given us the offensive weapons of the word of God and prayer. And Lord, now we're going to go into a time of observing the Lord's Supper. It's a time for us to truly remember what Jesus did on the cross, how he gave up his body 
for our sin and how he shed his blood on that cross to atone for our sin condition so that we might be rightly related to you, our Heavenly Father. And so, Father, we come to this time in our service where we observe the Lord's Supper. And so we ask, Lord, that you will be presiding over this time as each person will have a personal conversation with you before we observe what our Lord did for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.